Good morning from me. Great to see you all. Glory to Jesus. Um, I have the privilege of uh, preaching a message from that amazing chapter of John 5. So if you could have the Bibles open in front of you, um, because there's some things you have to see it to believe it in this passage. So uh, if you could grab John 5, I'll have it near you. And remember everybody that um, these things are written that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God and that we might have life in His name. So what an amazing opportunity it is this morning to have life with the living God. Here's a question. Do you want to be a happy person or a sad person? Here's another one. Do you want to be ill or well? Do you want to be broken or whole? Do you want to be a spiritually happy person? Because that comes with a cost in John chapter 5. Um, being deeply happy might not be as good as you think if it comes with a cost. I guess it's who's asking do I want to be happy? What do I have to do to get there? And actually, if we're being honest, being angry is quite satisfactory. So do we really want to be happy all the time? Because when you get angry, you can have that sense of um, uh, justification, um, you know, vindication. You've got this martyr's complex. It feels good that someone has betrayed me and I'm going to hold on to it. I kind of, I quite enjoy it, if I'm honest, being angry. Uh, you get to be your own God and forgive who you like and you don't have to forgive that person who did that to you. So I don't know if it's that easily said, yes, I want to be happy or made whole because there's a cost. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ asks a fascinating question and it's in verse 6. Um, do you want to get well? What a question. Isn't the answer obviously yes? I guess not to Jesus. He, there's a man there who's been ill for 38 years. Do you want to get well? Because some people don't want the whole package that I'm offering if you really want to be well. And Jesus asks that quite a lot. Do you want to be made well? Jesus meets people, and maybe this is you at home as you're tuning in or here. I want to be healed of uh, my arthritis or my um, psoriasis or my depression, but I do not want your lordship over my life. I'll have one without the other. And I think it's one of the most striking questions that the Lord God has ever asked a person. Do you want to get well with the package deal of being whole? And I don't know if, uh, how long you've been a church member here, but is this us? Can we say this as we consider this morning, happy people and angry people, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Can we say that? Because that sermon, this is a sermon to probe that. Are we in that place to say, the joy of the Lord is my strength? I am happy in the Lord. The whole package deal has made me whole. In John chapter 5, there are some sad people and angry people, and there are some happy people 
And it's not their disposition. You know those people that always smile and sometimes you just punch them in the face. That's their disposition. They wake up at 6 a.m. and they're just happy and you're like, that's disposition. Some of us are miserable. Some of us are happy. But here, the happiness and sadness is all to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Beyond disposition. Fundamental, soul, spiritual, where are we at? as humans, in front of the living God. That's what we're sorting out this morning. Because we're all going to have happy and sad days, but where are we with the living God? So, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible teaches that the world is passing. Probably in 110 years, none of us will be here. Maybe a new group will be here. We're all sort of passing, passing through. And the Lord Jesus arrives and he starts saving people and making them ready to the world, for the world to come, that people are passing through to. The Lord Jesus says, follow me and I will bring you to a world where there's no more death, tears, sin, bad backs, memory loss, toothache, but not just that. The attitudes are fixed now as well. Have you ever been hurt by anyone? Yes. Have you ever hurt anyone? Yes. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, right, let's go to a place where that stuff doesn't happen anymore. I will show you what it's like. Trust me and follow me and I'll do some work on you in the meantime as you get there. And we'll all get there together. Follow me. And there's this world to come. And it's better than this one. And that's hopeful. Yay! And part of the reason depression is skyrocketing and addictions are skyrocketing and anger is skyrocketing and domestic abuse is skyrocketing and did so in lockdown is because Wales is moving away from the church. And as we do that, we move away from the hope. And if we haven't got hope in the world to come, it's not hopeful. And it's sad. And by all accounts, the further Wales and the West get away from the Lord Jesus Christ, the less happy fundamentally we seem to be. Certainly more confused we are, less stable we are. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, those who I save, they have hope and stability. Even with their bad backs and toothache and sin, They know I'm going to sort that out. Follow me. And he shows what the world to come is like in John chapter 5. And there we have a man who's disabled physically. And he's been like that for a long time. And he gets healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he becomes a happy person whose strength is in the joy of the Lord. Not just his body is fixed, but his soul in John chapter 5. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a Christian in Jesus' day and today, you may have noticed this, not all of us get instantly healed of every problem that we have right away. Um, It was the same then and it is now. Most of us are waiting and trusting 
And in the meantime, the Lord God kindly shows us what He's like along the way and gets us excited about it. He shows us that there's a greater joy and happiness to be had than even immediate physical relief from our problems. The darkness that we go through physically. The sleepless nights. The Lord God shows us that there's something better than even being relieved of that. And it's knowing Him. Which is what the world to come is all going to be like. He does that, so He doesn't always heal us then and now. In fact... I'm going to call her my friend, but I'm not sure she'd say this. Johnny Erickson Tarder is a Christian in America. She probably doesn't really know who I am, but I know who she is. And she is, she's an amazing Christian woman. And when she was a teenager, she broke her neck. And she's been a quadriplegic ever since. And she said this, I would have never known the Lord God like I do now if I hadn't been paralyzed. She is a powerful witness, ladies and gentlemen, that there is more to life than being physically well. Some people say, who aren't Christians, oh, well, at least if everything in my life goes wrong, at least I've still got the car. It's like, what? Jesus says we can do better than that. If everything goes wrong in life, we can stay. We still have the living God and His hope. I knew a man once, and he was a Christian, and the dentist said to him, what I'm going to do to you now is going to hurt. So in your mind, think of a happy place. Think of the beach with drinks and women. You'd get sacked for that now, wouldn't you? And he said, my boy, I'm a Christian. I can think of better things than that. And he thought of Jesus and the world to come. And when he doesn't have dentists, anymore. So as we wait, we do have an instance in John 5 of when Jesus does heal someone, body, mind, and soul. And it's written that we may have life and love God and look forward to His coming. It's a taste of the world to come. And here are some clues how wonderful it is. Here's verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic, called Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. Incidentally, if you're into history, until the 19th century, they, they couldn't find this pool. So they would say, oh, John shouldn't be part of the Bible. It's all made up. We got that wrong. Then in the 19th century, the uh, archaeologists found it. And they were like, oh, okay. Guess John got that one right. Anyway, it's called the house of mercy. And in verse 8, here's a big clue to the hope. Jesus said to him, get up or arise. And the man raised up his bed and he walked like a resurrection hope. Rise. You're getting the vibe? In the house of mercy. Rise. And, well, here's a quiz to keep you awake. Do you think he was happy or sad? It's not a trick question. (laughs) Happy. And he probably sang this song that you probably know. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. He would have sang those. There are other people in this chapter that have put the joy so far down it hasn't shown for 40 years. We'll get to them in a bit. But he's not one of those. The Lord God heals him. Is another thing for our hope. Verse 9. At once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. Then on... Uh, and 
the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Well, why does John say that? Because in the, old, in the ancient church, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, to some degree or another, God's people rested on the Sabbath. And it was a sign that they're looking forward to God's rest. That world to come. And so one day a week they would just show. They would break from work. And they would say, oh, we're, we're trusting in His rest, which is coming. He's taking us there. One of my early memories in the 1990s was when John Major um, allowed all the shops to open on a Sunday. Do you remember that? And um, this may be an exaggerated statement, but it looks to me like everything's been going to pot ever since. Everything's been going downhill. Because what Wales and the UK stopped doing then was going to church, because they had to work on that day as well. And we seem to have been running and running and running all the way to eternity without pausing and stopping ever since. I've noticed that. We've entered a rat race where we don't rest, body, mind, and soul. Now we need to work all the time to pay the bills for the skyrocketing houses and everything else, and we're not made for it. Not made for the rat race. That's what the Bible says. It's killing us. Families are falling apart. Pressures on teachers and pupils to get the grades and be the perfect teacher. Unfairly high. The pressure's on running. To where? Don't know. This is all we've got now. Just run. Grades. Money. Hobbies. Jobs. Run. Where are we going? Don't know. Do we ever rest? Not really. Not anymore. I've been reading about Japan. The men aged between 20 and 44 in Japan, the, the highest cause of death is suicide at the moment. And I've been reading about the way they live. They wake up, they take an elevator down to the basement and there's a train. And the train takes them to the office and then they work for an extortionate amount of time and then they come back and they get in the elevator and the train takes them back and then they get in the other elevator and up they go back to their rooms and they never see the daylight. And it's day after day after day. And now they're lining up in droves at the base of Mount Fuji, which is a hot spot to die. Because some of them are losing their jobs. And they're hopeless. They've got nothing else other than jobs. And then they feel, well, I can't provide in this rat race. I'm useless. And they're not at rest. So they take their own lives. And even here in Wales, are we really at rest? Can we really say if I flunked my job or my grades or my health is lost, there is more to me even than that stuff. But we're always out. We're always rushing. This club, that hobby. What's my purpose? I need to race to find it and declare it to the world. I need to just state constantly who I am and discover it and share it and die for it. And here John is flagging up that a man was healed on the Sabbath and his body and his mind finds rest on the Sabbath and he's brought into God's saving rest which is what he's made for. We're made to know the Lord God 
and to rest. And God's people aren't on a rat race. We're just passing through to the world to come. And all the wealth we earn, we just wanted to promote it for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He loves us whether we've got an A at GCSEs or not. His kingdom lasts forever. Nothing else. Let's give to that. We're just passing through. And Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath in the house of mercy. And it's a physical and spiritual picture of new life. A new creation and hope. And it's a cause of true celebration. And Jesus said, it's obvious it's not just his body. Because he says, go and sin no more. In verse 14, this man's been healed. He's a follower of Jesus, body, mind and soul. He's a happy person. And now we come to part two. What do you think it's called? The angry people. Because there were some there who did not like it. They were miserable people. They were angry people. They probably weren't scowling all the time. Some of them were probably even nice to their wives and had a laugh. But when confronted with Jesus, because we're not talking about dispositionally happy or sad, when confronted with Jesus, that's when the rubber hits the road. Are we happy or sad in our souls? And the claws come out. Same today. If I asked a man for a light, I wouldn't because I don't smoke. But if I did, if I asked a man for a light, he'd probably give me one. Oh, thank you. You're a nice, happy chap. If I asked a man to join my views of politics, might get a bit awkward. Maybe less happy than the question about the light. If I asked a man to repent from sin and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, well, I did once, and someone hit me over the head with a walking stick. Now I'm angry. Give my allegiance to the Lord. And note everybody, the enemies of the Lord God in this chapter, they're not drug dealers. They're not pimps. They're not rock stars. They're not the uneducated. They're not the wasters. Here's verse 10. Have a look for yourself. And so the Jews said to the man, Who is it that's healed you on the Sabbath and told you to carry your mat? Ladies and gentlemen, the angry people in this passage are the ones that look like us. They're the churchgoers. They're churchgoers who weren't Jesus-centered. In fact, throughout the life of Jesus, the most angry people are the ones who are God-centered, but not Jesus-centered. No room for you, but we'll just talk religion and God. And they were rule keepers. Now let me tell you one of the saddest bits in this passage. They were cruel. Here's verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. There seems to be a pool that if you got there, you could be healed. A miraculous pool. Some other Bibles might say, if you've got a different version, an angel occasionally visited, touched the water, and whoever was in the water would get healed. That bit doesn't matter to this sermon. What matters is, he's so used to having these religious churchgoers around him, and not one of them has ever helped him get to the pool. They always let someone else get there before me. These guys here, I've never been able to get there in 38 years. Do you know why they're like that? 
Because religious churchgoers who don't have the joy of the Lord can be cruel. Can be cruel. They're angry people spiritually. One of the things that they thought was the worst thing they could say about Jesus who they didn't like. He sits with sinners and eats with them. What is he doing? And these guys followed the Sabbath laws so carefully in verse 10. So the Jews said to the man, who is it? The law forbids you to carry your mat. I've read the book of Moses a few times. They've made that rule up. They did that just to make themselves feel good about themselves. Because for religious people, who are the enemies of God, the joy of the Lord isn't their strength. The feeling good about themselves at the expense of others is their strength. And ladies and gentlemen, they clashed with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because now there's two gods on the scene. Me and this person. Who is he? I like me as God. Who is this person? I like the idea of when I get to heaven, it's a wall of mirrors and I can just admire myself. Well, who's this person talking about that he's the Son of God and it's about him and his Father? And there's a clash. And they start to hate the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 11, 12, 15, and 16. The Lord Jesus Christ, the author of the new kingdom, the new creation, the destroyer of sin and death and decay is standing right in front of them. And they have what we have, a choice. A chance to rejoice with this man who in first, the first time in 38 years is walking and leaping and praising God. Or get angry because he's carrying his bed. He's disturbing the boys club called church that we've made. And here we are, confronted again. Shall we be spiritually happy and say, Lord, I want to follow you, not me? Or do we become angry? These boys thought, God loves me because I'm good. And I've kept the rules. And here's the real God helping people they would never even dream of. The needy, the poor, the sinners, the backsliders, the disabled of body and soul. These guys, the angry ones, have forgotten this. That the, living's, the living God's rule of life is everything is backwards to what these boys are teaching. In my world, says the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope this warms your soul today if you're tired, the last shall be first. In my world, says the living God, the weak is to be strong. To be weak is to be strong. To serve is to lead. To die is to live. And the Lord God hung Himself on a Roman plank of wood in weakness, dying to rescue sinners, to take away their sin. And that is His model of how His kingdom works. Have you heard this phrase? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Well, actually, power corrupts. But in this book of John, absolute power was crucified for sinners. And that's power. The strong for the weak.
to bring the weak to the living God. And verse 16, now they hate Jesus. C.S. Lewis says, A proud man is always looking down on things and people, so much so that they never stop to look up at something glorious. I had a scary thought. It's to do with envy. Did you know that when it comes to envy, we are tempted to envy and dislike and look down on people very similar to us, but slightly different? You see, I would never envy the world's greatest cricketer. Do you know why? Don't care about cricket. Sorry, the Williams boys at the back and Tony. Sorry, I should have used another. But it's not for me. And here, and churchgoers attempted to get envious at who? Cricketers in India? No. Churchgoers. It's always in the similar field. And here, the Lord God has a Bible. Jesus has a Bible and knows it like they did. But his power was clean and wholesome and caring and lovely. And they clashed. And it all, ladies and gentlemen, comes to a clashing head. And so does this sermon. Jesus cranks it up a knot just so everybody then and everybody now is clear on who he is and what he wants to do for everybody listening this morning. And that's why he's asked the question, do you want to be made well? And that's why Owen is here to ask us all, do we want to be made well this morning? Who is the Jesus of John 5 as we wrap up and come to the Lord's table? Who is this Lord God who saves the world? Who stands ready, knocking at the door of Park End Church this morning? And we're going to close with a test, a quiz. And according to the Lord Jesus Christ, the answers of the quiz will define whether you are a happy person, or we are a happy people, or an angry people, spiritually. And I base that on his words in verse 24. Verily I say unto thee, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over already from death to life and so here are some of his words that he says about who he is some claims that he has about himself and do we amen because our lives depend on it here's verse 17 and 18 as i rattle them off Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus says, I am the father, am one. I am going to be the center of everybody's worldview with God my Father. And some people will want to kill Jesus for that claim. But other people in this room, we say, glory, there's a good man on the throne this day. 
who's got everything in his hands, equal to the Father, and we love him. God revealed in the flesh, and that very same man crucified for sinners who heals the sick is now reigning as an equal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we say, glory, or we don't. That's the quiz. Then he keeps his foot on the throttle. Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one but entrusted all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. My friends, the Lord Jesus Christ, back then and now and forever, walks in perfect step with God the Father. When the Father acts, the Son acts. Father, Son, and Spirit. Do you believe in the living God? All judgment is entrusted to the Lord Jesus Christ. God will judge the secrets of men by the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that day to meet Jesus as friend or judge. When he says this, your religious deeds can do nothing. Just come as you are and I will save you. That's the judgment. Come now. Do you believe that? This passage is as offensive in 2022 as it was back then. In an age of absolute tolerance and diversity, Jesus would be crucified all over again for being too narrow-minded. And he closes this chapter off with a series of indictments of people who don't like him. He says this, You don't have God's word in you. Verse 38. You don't want to come to me. Verse 40. You don't have the love of God in you. Verse 42. You don't believe me. Verse 43. You can't believe me. Verse 44. You don't believe Moses. And he wrote about me. Verse 45, and twas ever thus, as I close, we have spiritually angry people on planet earth and spiritually happy people on planet earth. And the happy ones are those that now say, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal and divine Son of God, the Lord and Judge of all, the Savior of souls, the friend of sinners, the hope of the hopeless and the light of darkness. C.S. Lewis said there's a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you serious. It's just too good to waste on jokes. And as it's Father's Day, my last sentence is a letter I found from a father to a son in the 19th century. It was by a man called John Elias who was a Christian preacher and he wrote this to his son who was no more than 10 years old. And it really shows where he thinks true happiness comes from. And it's probably different to our letters today on how to make our children happy. And he said this, My son, think frequently of death, of the judgment day, and of eternity. We will soon be there. Think of Jesus dying and rising and be amazed and be happy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.